kneel with me in prayer if you're so inclined. Uh, Lord, in the minutes we have on loan from you, hold our attention, whisper by your still small voice about the personal God stories that each one of us have. To the end, Lord, that we would magnify, glorify, and thank you. And to the end, that we could think through our stories enough that we could use them to share our faith in the way of salvation with people we meet every day. We ask this, that you'd be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name and the incredible body of Christ said, amen. I want to tell you my God story because... You all have God stories, and perhaps as you hear mine, that'll encourage you to think through yours. Uh, I've asked that the Lord would hide me and magnify himself and his story in my life, so here we go. I am the eldest of four children. Uh, Three of us are living, and one sister is in heaven. As the eldest, I was about two years old when my mother delivered her second child, a baby uh, sister for me, and Janet was her name. She only lived 14 days as she had a congenital kidney problem, and the Lord gathered her to himself after 14 days. At that time, my parents were very religious. Maybe you come this morning and you are as well. My father was an elder in a liberal Christian church. You'll see why it was liberal when I tell more of the story. At that time of Janet's passing, I was in a nursery school run by a strong Bible-believing widow named Alice Clements. Alice had five children under 16 years of age when her husband Lee was killed in an automobile accident. He owned two car dealerships, and they were financially well off while he was alive, but Although he had significant life insurance, the life insurance company found a loophole in his death benefit, and Mrs. Clements got nothing when her husband died. So she went from being a comfortable stay-at-home wife and mother to having to raise five children under 16 years of age. And one of the things that God led her to do was to run a nursery school in the basement of her Baptist church. And I was one of the little boys that was in her nursery school, and Mrs. Clement's practice was to drive around with her station wagon and to pick up the children in her school and take them to the nursery school and then to bring them back to their homes. And in the course of me moving around with her to school and back, she first heard that Janet had been born, and then she heard that Janet was not well, and then she heard that Janet was not coming home from the hospital yet. And then one morning when she asked how baby Janet was, I don't remember saying this, but apparently I said to Mrs. Clements what I had been told by my parents. Janet went to be with Jesus last night. Mrs. Clements, in her heart of compassion and generosity, had her 16-year-old son deliver a casserole, full casserole meal to my parents the very night she learned of Janet's death. This was particularly moving to my mother because my mother knew Mrs. Clements' financial circumstances and how strapped she was in every way for money. With that casserole dinner was a card of sympathy that said 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. My mother didn't fully understand what that meant, although she'd been raised in a liberal church, but she knew the love behind it meant a lot. As the days unfolded, Mrs. Clements, with the heart of an evangelist, was running Good News Bible Clubs with Child Evangelism Fellowship, and she was teaching them, and she asked my mother if she would come and assist. And my mother said, oh, I, poss- I couldn't possibly teach the Bible to anybody, because although I've been in the church all my life, I don't know the Bible. Mrs. Clements, oh, I didn't ask you to come and teach. I asked you to come as crowd control. So there my mother sat, day after day, in the Good News Bible Club for Children with her son, me, in the class, and she heard the gospel through missionary stories, through Bible stories on flannel graph. And then there were scripture verses assigned to the children like me to memorize, all to do with being saved. And so my mother was exposed to the good news that Christ has died for sins and arisen and that he wants to be the savior of a sinner. And so in the best way my mother knew how, one lonely night when my dad was out at a business meeting, she and the Holy Spirit did business. The Spirit of God drew my mother to childlike faith in Christ alone, and my mother was born again. When my dad came home from the business meeting, he heard from mom what had happened. She was so excited. And he was kind of, my dad's a really gentleman, real classy man. But he said at that point, that's good for you, Mary. And my mother said, well, what about you? And he said, you know, I'm a member of a service club. I do things for the community. I'm generous with my business profits. I've never done broken the law. I'm okay. So my mom was very disappointed, but she spoke to Mrs. Clements, and Mrs. Clements said, be still, my daughter. Pray for your husband's salvation privately, and let the Spirit of God change you as a wife, that he'll be compelled to ask what's going on in your heart. And so my mom did. After my dad's uh, saying it was good for my mother, but not for him, Mrs. Clements asked if we could have a child evangelism backyard Bible club at our house. And I thought that was a great idea. I love the songs and the stories, scripture memorization. So my mother asked my dad, who's not yet redeemed, could we open our garage to a child evangelism good news club for the neighborhood children? My dad said, sure, that would be great. So in that context, I was four and a half years old. I was no genius. But the Spirit of God convicted me of my own sin, the things I had done wrong in Jesus' sight, even at a tender age. He taught me that Jesus died in my place, took my spanking that I deserved on the cross, and that he offered me eternal life and forgiveness and be his child if I simply trust Jesus alone to be my Savior, and I did, four and a half years old. My dad was watching the changes that Christ was making in my mother, and he was seeing this was for real, this was not a flash in the pan, and so... He began to go to a summer camp in cottage country in Canada where people from Toronto go to have a break from the heat around a lake. And Mrs. Clements had the cottage on a lake because, remember, her husband Lee was rather wealthy, 
before he died. So she had this cottage property, and she brought children up from the city to stay at the camp so that she could love on them for Jesus' sake, and she could tell them the good news of salvation. You see, she was an evangelist. She never went to Bible college. She never went to seminary, but she was an evangelist. Her heart beat for lost people to know Jesus. I want that in my life. As my dad was up there helping Mrs. Clements at the summer camp, she said to my dad, who's not yet saved, Don, you know the Bible lessons we teach the children after lunch? Yes. You're going to teach the lesson tomorrow. And so my dad (laughs) took time to read the Bible and to look at the story and to learn it so he could tell it. And in the course of things like that, the Holy Spirit of God started to draw my father to the salvation we know in Christ The Spirit of God started to convict my father that he was a sinner, that Jesus was a Savior, that he needed to receive personally by faith in Christ alone. And so my dad was saved about six months after I was, about a year after my mother was. And he went to that liberal church. (laughs) And he went to the pastor of that liberal church who was a right reverend doctor something. And my dad went to him and said, Dr. Hunter, last night I became a born-again Christian. And Dr. Hunter said, oh, that's very nice. And my father said, are you a born-again Christian, Dr. Hunter? No, I'm not. But we need people around here who are born-again Christians. So my father says, I believe the Bible is God's word and that it's accurate in history and theology and everything else it teaches. Do you believe that? Not literally. I believe that God created everything that's been created in six literal days. Do you believe that, Dr. Hunter? Not literally. I believe that God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah alive, and he survived and was spit on on a beach. Do you believe that, Dr. Hunter? Not literally. I believe that Jesus fed thousands of people with a little boy's brown bag lunch. Do you believe that, Dr. Hunter? No, not literally. My father said, let's get to the point here. I believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected to new life bodily by the power of God. Do you believe that, Dr. Hunter? Not literally. My dad says, I need to find a church that does believe that. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) so my dad did he demonstrated spiritual headship and leadership servant leadership in our family and he took us from that liberal church to a bible believing smaller church much smaller church that believed the bible taught salvation through christ and we started to grow spiritually in that new church Now, I'd like to tell you that we all grew in a steady pace spiritually, and there were no hiccups, no bumps, no reversals, no um, regression. But that is not true. After about 10 years of growing in that church, my parents brought some property, bought some property uh, to build a summer house. God had blessed the funeral business that my dad owned with his father, and they had some money to do that. So they bought a piece of land with a view of developing a lake, a man-made lake, and a 
place, an A-frame cottage to relax in. And that sounded like a good idea. But then what happened was my dad and mother said, well, we, we'll go to church every Sunday while we're working on the land. They did for a little while near the land, but then it became once a month. Then it wasn't too long that our family didn't go to church while we worked on the land at all. We always worked on Sundays. We never went, got with God's people. And you know what happens when you take an ember of a fire pit and the log spits out a hot ember and it doesn't stay close to the other hot embers. It cools. And that's what happened in our family. We all cooled. Around that time, I was in junior high. And my best friend's name was David. And although I was a cooling ember, I knew I was saved. And although I was a cooling ember, I knew that David wasn't. And so I shared the gospel with him that Christ has died for sins and arisen, that he is a savior as are all of us, and he needed to trust only Jesus to be born again, made new, forgiven, and given a place in God's family in heaven. I shared that with David. He said, I'll think about it. And so the years unfolded, grade 7, grade 8, grade 9, grade 10, grade 11, grade 12. And at this time, my life is resembling David's as he lived in the world more than it's resembling a Christian's life. And I'm not proud of that, young people. If I had my life to live over again, I would be under the lordship of Christ all through those years. But I wasn't, to be honest with you. The pursuits that my friends without Christ chased after, I chased after, looking for fulfillment and meaning, and of course not finding them. Knowing I was saved, thinking I would have all the time in the world, and I would marry a nice lady. We'd have 2.5 children, as the census said we should have 2.5 children, and a white picket fence around a home in the suburbs. And then I would get right with Christ, walk steadily with him, and everything would be fine. Problem. Every day is on loan to you and me from God. Pastor Errol's friend, slipped into eternity this week. And what happened was, in grade 12, some of us saved money, and we went on our school break to Hawaii for a week. We all had a very good time in the way the world defines a good time. And my friend David, who's very smart, was on the trip, and he says to me, he called me Sam, Sam, I'm going back to Hawaii. I said, we all want to. <laughs> we all want to. No, I said, I'm going back to Hawaii next year. Well, I walked to and from high school with David every day, and he would never carry any books. He never carried a textbook home to school. He never carried one the other way. He never carried any books. And he was one of those guys that kind of drive you crazy that he got A's and B's without doing homework. In the 12th grade, he started carrying his books. And I didn't notice it at first, but after a couple of days, I said, what's, what's gives, man? You're carrying books. He goes, I'm going to go to Hawaii. I said, oh, yeah, I know we're all going to go to Hawaii. He goes, I'm going to Hawaii next year, and I'm getting my grade point average so high that I'm going to walk out of high school halfway through 12th grade and not come back. And my grade point average will be so high that I will get into any university in the United States or Canada that I want to because that's how high I'm going to get it. And he did. 
And one Friday, Sam, come with me. I'm going to say goodbye to my teachers. And so he dragged me around and went to all of his individual teachers after school and said, see you later. And they said, yes, David, we'll see you Monday. Oh, no, you're not seeing me again. I'm going to Hawaii. You'll get zeros on all your assignments the rest of the year. Yes, I will. But I think if you calculate it, you'll see that my grade point average will be so high, I'll get to any university I want. He was cocky, arrogant, but he was smart. So David went off to Hawaii as he planned by himself. And then the phone rang in my home around midnight. My parents were out and I was home. And it was someone on the other end that said that their son had drowned in Hawaii. But because David's mother had remarried and I didn't go to her marriage, I didn't know her new surname, and she gave her new surname and it didn't add up to me. So I wrote a lengthy note to my father. Receiving a death call as a funeral director's son is not uncommon, but I said on the note, I said, this is very troubling. They seem to know me and you, but I don't know the name. I don't know who they are, Dad. That morning, my mother came to my bedroom and said, son, what is Mrs. Christie's new married name? Soon as she said that, I knew. He had died body surfing in a riptide. Although he was a lifeguard, he knew well how to swim. All of the hotels on Maui that had guests had signs warning against swimming in the sea during that particular week's but he didn't have the benefit of those warnings, and he drowned. I should tell you, back up a little bit, that although I was living a compromised and carnal Christian life from the 7th grade to about the 11th grade, at the 11th grade, I was moved of the Spirit to share the gospel again with David. Mind you, I wasn't walking the walk. I was just talking the talk. And I shared the way of salvation. He said this to me. He said, isn't this what you told me about in grade seven? Yes, very same. He goes, why should I do anything about it? Because it hasn't made a stitch of difference in your life. And so... In my church, I sat in the front row of my best friend's funeral as a pallbearer. And my pastor laid out the way of salvation to my classmates. The church was absolutely packed. And I wept for two reasons. I wept because David had died. And I wept because my life was in shambles with sin. In that front row, while my pastor was giving the eulogy and the, the, the biblical charge, the committal, I prayed something like this. I said, Lord, I am so sorry I've been wasting your time and grieving your heart. I repent. And if you can make anything out of this life of yours that you've given me, I'll do whatever you want. At that point, I was at the University of Toronto studying business administration because my grandfather and dad had these funeral homes in Toronto, and I felt that 
that would probably be what I ought to do. But my time at the University of Toronto was rather miserable because I was fighting against the will of God. Not knowingly at first, but eventually. That first Christmas break of my year at University of Toronto, my freshman year, where there was a Christmas party with my high school friends. And although I had been a closet Christian during high school, there was a friend of mine who was also a closet Christian during high school. And he was off to Word of Life Bible Institute in Scroon Lake, New York. And he came up to me at this Christmas party. And after some small talk, he got right to the point. He said, do you know God's will for your life? I thought, well, I've known Christ a lot of years, but I do not know God's will for my life. He said, let me ask you this. Do you think you could possibly know God's will for your life if you don't know his word? That's a good question. Could you possibly know God's will for your life if you don't know his word? That was a question that changed my life. And I had a friend who was bold enough to love me enough to ask me. He said, I challenge you that after you finish at the University of Toronto, get your degree, that you go off to Word of Life Bible Institute in Scroon Lake for one year for intensive Bible study to try to find out what God's will is for your life. So I did. There I came to grips with Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I wrestled with God about those verses, and obviously he won. (laughs) And I presented myself a living sacrifice. And almost immediately, I knew in my heart that God wanted me to be a pastor teacher. And so I started listening to the instructors at Word of Life that I felt were most effective in teaching God's Word to us students. And I go up to them after they lectured, and I say, excuse me, where did you go to seminary? Not all of them, but the majority of them said Dallas Seminary. I didn't know anything about Dallas Seminary until they mentioned it. So I prayed about it. And as I was praying about it, I applied to Talbot Theological Seminary in Southern California and to Dallas Seminary in Dallas, Texas, and I got accepted in both. So now I have a choice. How do you make a choice as a Christian? Well, you pray, you wait on God, you seek the counsel of more mature Christians who know something about God's Word and something about you. So I did these things. And one morning in my quiet time with God, as I was praying about whether to go to Dallas or to Talbot, the Lord put a strong impression on my heart that if I am going to marry, I'm going to meet my wife at one of those two places. I enrolled and uh, accepted acceptance at Dallas Seminary and was in the incoming class of about 250, maybe more. And there was a faculty welcome, and they had four students, four incoming students identified in advance to give their, their God stories to the faculty, and to the students, the incoming class. There were three men, and there was that beautiful young lady on the front row. And when she spoke, it was real clear to me that she loved the Lord most. It was real clear to me she trusted him for everything. For instance, she said she had several women in Michigan praying for her to have a place to live in Dallas that was free, clean, and had no bugs. 
And God gave her a place that was free, clean, and had no bugs. And she was sharing this. I'm thinking, wow, she knows how to trust God for everything, and she's not hard to look at either. (laughs) So we became friends, had some classes together. We started dating in October. And because we were much in prayer and we had been dating other people before we knew each other, we got engaged Valentine's Day. So that's pretty quick. I asked her to marry me and so grateful she said yes. Asked her to marry me and it was televised on TV. That's another story, perhaps for another sermon. After we married, we graduated Dallas Seminary together. Beth earned her Master of Arts in Biblical Studies, and I earned my Master of Theology degree, and we were so blessed. We graduated together, and do you know what God did for us? We graduated together debt-free. Debt-free. God's provision and provision and provision and provision. To him be the glory. I then answered, we then answered a call to pastor in Ontario, Canada, where I'm from. I went to Dallas Seminary realizing there was not much expository preaching, verse-by-verse preaching in the Canadian Evangelical Church. So I felt that I should go back to Canada to try to share the Bible verse-by-verse-by-verse in some church that God would have me to pastor. So we were sent to a lovely little place called St. Mary's, Ontario, north of London, Ontario, for any of you that know the geography. And we were there nine years. And God blessed and God taught us how to cut our teeth in ministry and how to trust him and how to apologize when you make mistakes and how to not be proud and try to be humble and teachable. Then after nine years at Grace Community Church in St. Mary's, Ontario, God moved us within the same denomination, to pastor a different church called Fair Havens Community Church on Lake Simcoe, which some of you may know if you know Ontario. It's a big, huge lake north of Oshawa, Ontario. And we were there 11 years. And God blessed us and taught us more and showed us his faithfulness time and time and time again. And then after 11 years, the Lord moved us to a church called Milford Bible Church in Milford, Pennsylvania, our first experience pastoring in America. After 20 years of pastoring in Canada, God led us to serve him in a pastoral role in America. And it was really quite amazing that I was told after they called me to be their pastor that they had gone through 562 resumes looking for a senior pastor. And they were convinced, as was I, that I should go and pastor that church. God gave us six and a half good years there, his blessing being evident and his faithfulness being true. And then the Lord surprised us. The Lord just blessed us that we would be considered by Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. And as we got to know you, a uh, little bit at the end of last March and sense your love for Christ, your love for each other, your love for the Word of God, we felt our heart being knitted together with yours, although we didn't know how the leadership of the church was sensing God's leading. Of course, it takes leading of God on both 
sides of the equation for it to be confirmed, right? And so here we are. Here we are wanting to serve the Lord with you. Not to be a two-person show, but to be equippers of the saints to do the work of the ministry. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's salvation is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. We want to share that message with you sharing that message, and that's why we've started giving you gospel tracts to share and to share your faith. That's why I'm giving you my God story, so that you will think about your own God stories, maybe put them to paper on a timeline. What happened first? What happened second? What happened third? How did I get to where I am now? What is God's story written in my life circumstances? Because do you know what? When you have your God story, you can share it in two minutes, 20 minutes, or two hours. It's your story. You know it well. I'm teaching you my God story to give God the glory, but to spur you on to writing out your God stories so that you'll share your faith. What we're going to do is that we're going to give some thought as the Spirit of God uses a video and then uh, further challenge to really get ready to accept God's forgiveness, to get back in line with the Lordship of Christ if we're out of alignment, and to get a deepened burden and concern for lost people who slip either into heaven or into hell like that. Oh God, give this church a renewed burden for lost people, a love for lost people. May God grow this church numerically by conversion growth. All right, let's see this video. And as Big Daddy Weave sings this song, you think about how it interplays with your life. Stain. 
Redeemed. 